For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided exceptional care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to give children and healthcare heroes a reason to believe this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org slash holiday. Hey, and welcome back to uh, Right Night. Uh, so this is Right Night. Tonight's topic is going to be about contrasting environments on the creative side, on the technical side, in our personal lives, and across the board. Um, I do want to let everybody know who is listening to this after the fact of recording that this podcast was recorded in front of a live audience and we will be answering their questions and commenting them and interacting with them on occasion during the show itself. So make sure you allow for that. And also don't forget you can join us at twitch.tv slash Travis Tavern Talk every Saturday night at 8. Uh, barring hell or high water, we tend to stay home for those two things. And uh, join us and interact with us. want to give a quick Welcome to everybody who is here and watching. Thank you for hanging out during the break between this and the last broadcast, and thank you for coming back now. Um, I am Travis Silver. Oh, I guess i got to get a book, right? It's, I don't have the other books. I give them to Andrea, but I'm going to talk about Silver and Smith right here. This is the first in a series that I'm working on book two, but first I have to finish book three of Portals. Um, I'm very excited about that. I had a digital picture somewhere, but I can't hold that up to the screen when I've got you guys on there. Now, let's uh, flip this around and let you guys introduce yourself also. Um, I don't know. Who was supposed to go second? It was Michael, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so. Hello, everyone. My name is Michael Thompson. I'm an independent author and illustrator, and I write all sorts of cool fantasy and uh, fantasy books. Uh Chicken Boy is my superhero book, and I got the one I got in front of me right now is World of the Orb. It's a sword and sorcery fantasy book about a couple of best friends who sneak away from their group on a field trip to the Museum of Natural History and discover the hidden world that the museum was desperately trying to keep secret. Uh, great for young adults and up. If you want to check that out, I've got my website, michaelthompsonbooks.com, so you can find that and everything else related to it. Very good. And Aaron? Hi, my name is Aaron Kennedy. I'm the author of Persona Non Grata, uh, the Ship's Valor series. Uh, I've been a technical writer for about 25 years. Um, currently working on the Icarus Black series. Um, and that's about me. Uh, but, quick question for the audience out there. What are you reading right now? You don't have to answer or respond, but what, what, are, you, uh, what are you pursuing? What's your current project? Okay. And apparently there is an echo of some sort going on. I am working on that, checking on a few things. Um, let me do this real quick. Well, thank you, Potomos. It's good to see you. 
And it's good to see uh, Conquest Publishing with John and Tracy of Spacey Tracy. Now, a few other things. I'm going to play with this echo. Do me a favor. For our live audience, let us know when the echo disappears. Because I am playing with different things, muting, and making sure I'm not picking up sound in two different places. Gentlemen, I want you to try to speak for a moment. All right. Testing, testing. Hello, hello. Okay, well, do I sound like to see if that was accurate? I do want to talk about uh, our our, uh, our other shows. Oh no, what I want to talk about is each one of our books are available on Amazon and other places. So make sure you go check us out because we show you one book here, <clears throat> but uh, most of us have other books out there. So we're gonna work that out. Oh. Hold on. We're going to raise some uh, glasses right quick to uh, Potomos for his subscription here. Here's to you, man. Thank you, Potomos. So don't forget to check us out, each one of us, on Amazon. You can find me at Travis I. Sivart. I do use that middle initial. Michael, what name are you using on Amazon? On Amazon, it's uh, Michael Thompson Books, I believe, is the author page. Michael Thompson books. Do you prefer people, and I actually wrote this question down to ask you later, but let me ask you now, do you prefer um, to send people to your regular website instead of Amazon? Um, We can do the regular website for now because the first three Chicken Boy books were released uh, when I was a teenager and they're under a different name. They're under Mike Thompson. so, but I'm going to be updating them all and making them more of an industry standard uh, size. And so, when I re-release it, everything will be under Michael Thompson. I had a situation where I had three websites at one point, and it was getting too expensive. So I have consolidated everything onto MichaelThompsonBooks.com. Echo is back for me apparently from uh, John. Uh, John said. And what about you, Aaron? Uh, I can be found on Amazon. Uh, it's under Aaron, A-A-R-O-N. Just like the dead president, Kennedy, like the dead president. So A-A-Ron, Kennedy. There we go. And I believe I'll have the exo- echo fixed at this point in time. So let's see here. Let's set up the topic, I think. Tonight we're going to be talking about contrasting environments, and we're going to do this really. It's an odd topic in that it's very expansive, but it takes some thinking to get your head around it. Um, So with this, we're going to discuss things anywhere from the weather to Good versus bad, law versus chaos, uh, dystopia versus utopia, <clears throat> colors in a room, etc. Just everything that can contrast from a physical level to a psychological oh, level. Yeah. Hold on, let's raise a glass over here to the witch's door. Thank you for joining us and subscribing during hey, our uh, show door. here. And for all our viewers, I want you to know we are recording the, li- the podcast that will be put out Wednesday. So, um, who wants to start out on this topic? And we're going to lean the first hour, and I say lean because it's going to be hard to put a definitive line in this topic. That's why we only have one topic, even though we do a creative hour than a technical hour. 
The first hour is going to lean towards the creative. <laughs> and then the second hour will lean towards the technical, but it is going to blend. So for anybody listening to podcasts that is used to that break in the middle, this is going to be a, a, a shades of gray. Shades of gray, baby. Aaron. Nothing wrong with that. All right. Uh, about contrast, Hold on, Aaron. Uh, is- I'm going to totally interrupt you. You are totally breaking up again. Uh, and almost constantly. So we're going to give Aaron a moment to wiggle his wire, if you know what I mean. <clears throat> Maybe plug it into a different USB port, if that's the case. Uh, and we're going to let Michael talk a little bit, if Mike's got some stuff on his mind. All right. I'll, I'll talk while uh, while we sort out the crackling issue. Um, uh, the, the top thing that I thought, thought about when we were talking about the contrasting uh, contrasting environments. Um, one of the things that we came up with was uh, protagonist and antagonist, or protagonist versus obstacle in general. And um, I was thinking about in my in my book, Winslow Hoffner's Incredible Encounters, uh, which is about a fisherman's uh, encounters with mythical beasts on the bay that he lives. Uh, there was his uh, the antagonist of that book is kind of an an old uh, an old friend of his and they what they came to represent when i sort of stepped back and and looked at them is is winslow came to sort of represent intuition and uh, the antagonist skialpi sort of represented logic and so it's kind of interesting it was kind of interesting to me when i looked at these these traits that are are, are normally kind of chaotic because we were talking about law and chaos and Winslow, my main character, definitely falls more on the chaotic side of things because uh, he because he sort of has a gut feeling and he goes with it. Um, but that's but that's presented in the in the most positive possible sense because uh, he's he's usually right. And then Scialpi, who does everything by the book, uh, but sort of lacks that intuitive inclination. Uh, it sort of drives his villainy and his. Um, his uh his his pursuits that become a little bit less than savory uh, toward the end of the book uh and that that's kind of his corrupting force that a little bit of envy there uh of winslow's apparent uh, uh gift uh to see these creatures um but yeah intuition versus logic and i think that that's that's an interesting thing if if you guys i don't know uh when you when you step back and look at your characters do you notice like if you if you boil them down to like one word what does this character represent and then you and then you flip that and compare uh, it to your antagonist. Do you see uh, the inversion up here? That's a great question, Aaron. Do you have some thoughts on that so we could test your crackle? <laughs> um, let's use Ari and Hart from uh, Persona Non Grata. Uh, Ari is our narrator, um, our primary protagonist within the story. In reality, it's Hart. Hart is the one that we care about. Um, Ari is really describing everything. Um, so what we run into is Harry talks and he talks and he talks. He's, he's a narrator. He's giving you the description of the world. Hearts is shorter. You, you get tidbits of him, but when he does speak, you get that meaning there. Um, and what's kind of nice there is, uh, for those that have seen the, um, the View Askewiverse, your uh, Jay and Silent Bob movies, we've got Jay constantly talking nonstop. 
whereas Silent Bob has one or two lines during the entire movie, making them appear poignant. Um, strangely enough, I'm currently watching Phineas and Ferb, and Phineas is the same way, and then Ferb has a single line during the show. Uh, create these similar contrasts. Um, it's when we're going to create a contrast like that, we want them to be so far apart that they pop. Like uh, like we're in a tuxedo. It's black and it's white, and then maybe you get a little splash of color. Um, and that splash is what makes everything kind of jump out at you. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I don't think I've ever boiled down a character to one word perhaps a bullet point list, but never one word. And I think that's an interesting thing to do. And it makes me want to go back and do it in retrospect with my characters and see if I can, because that, that sounds like a great keyhole to yeah. the individual character arc. Um, For sure. Especially if you boil it down to whatever that one word is, is that his drive, is that his essence, whatever it is, it's going to tie into the arc. Even if you have this character getting different arcs, I think of Tony Stark from each Iron Man movie, as well as each uh, Avengers movie. He has a very individual arc, each one. And though they're mm -hmm. related, they're not the same arc every time, which is something I very much appreciated about the writing of those movies. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your, your protagonist. Mm -hmm. is chaotic. But your antagonist is kind of by the book for the rules use law and order and yeah i've never found chaos to be evil it's fucking distracting um, right but that doesn't mean evil it's a uh, matter of fact i i feel it's quite often easier to do good in a chaotic situation than the other way around when you're boxed into the maze of law and rules and this relates to something I was writing today. I'm working on Portals Book 3, Mystics and Monoliths. And there's a city that is, it's one of the safe havens in this fantasy apocalyptic world. Because it has law and order. But it has mm -hmm. so much that it is borderline controlling of its citizens. And it just has so many rules and laws that there's not a lot of free will there. And is that it protects everybody and keeps them safe, but at certain, you, yeah, how many times has it been said uh, of the United States itself or any other country in the world, to gain safety, you give up freedom. And is yeah. that good or evil? Aaron? Well, it Back in English high school, I had a great English teacher. Uh, I had a great English teacher. One of her phrases on the board, and she only had a couple rules. Um, but she highlighted that you could judge the sickness of a society by the number of laws it had. Um, mm. It's kind of like freaking warning labels on a bottle. Hey, they wouldn't be there if somebody didn't do it. <laughs> right, right. Um so, having traveled the world, 
friggin' places like Singapore. Singapore is a... At Capella University, you're in control of your education. With the game-changing FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines and move at your own pace. The faster you move, the more you save. Visit capella.edu to learn more. With MailChimp, you get a whole lot more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. That means you can connect your data to make more informed, smarter decisions. And you get powerful automation tools like our customer journey builder to ensure you never miss an opportunity to turn shoppers into loyal customers. So if you're ready to integrate your marketing and boost sales, get started today at MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. Amazingly clean city. Uh, you can't buy gum in the city. It's not against the law. You just can't buy it. Hmm. Um, it is sterile. It's kind of sterile. Um, it doesn't feel right. Okay, uh, even though it's a nice place. Whereas if you go to a similar city, uh, your San Diego's or your um, your uh, Sydney, Australia, they're clean, but they're not disconcerting. Right. Yeah, I think I think that's true. Um, when looking when looking at that uh, in a story, I think it is very interesting uh, to look at anything anything that can be a virtue. There's a there's a corrupt form of everything, right? So, and a positive form of things that may be, you know, uh, normally negative. So, like chaos has normally a negative con- connotation. Connotation. Mm-hmm. A po- a positive form of chaos can be like spontaneity. Um, and a negative form of, of lawful can be, I think you you said the word Aaron sterile. I think that's, that's a great, you know, kind of creepily, you know, devoid of, of, uh, of like a lived in natural feel like, like, like stilted, you know? So if you imagine a dial and taking a virtue and turning that dial too far one way, is a great way to arrive at a weakness if you're setting up a weakness for your character. In World of the Orb, one of uh, the main character, Marvin, one of his virtues is that he's humble, but he's incredibly humble. And you turn that dial, and, and a weakness that, that comes from that is that he doesn't think much of himself, and he's like he feels very invisible to the world, and he doesn't. Uh, he just thinks of himself as a face in a crowd, and he's become very complacent and, and comfortable in in being uh, quiet and. Uh, uh, j- just a part of the environment almost. Um, and Shamal, the villain of that is very prideful. Uh, and, and you turn that and, and the weakness that arrives from being prideful is, is the fallacy of the, the idea that you cannot be wrong. And that, that sets you, that sets you up to fail as well. So, so anything that, that might, you know, create a, a strength or, or that may create a strength for your character can also create a weakness. And uh, by turning that dial of uh, that that quality dial, you know, yeah. What do you think, Aaron? Well, you you bring up a great point about the strengths and the weaknesses. Um, Vampire the Masquerade, friggin', they had a uh, a fantasy RPG that came out later, uh, and it was modeled after basically the descendants of gods. Uh, but when these avatars on Earth when they started to, uh, their strengths were their weaknesses. So, um, 
as they became more powerful, pride would take over. Yes. Um, as they started doing one thing, these facets of the personality became downfall. If I can interrupt real quick, for the excuse me, for those of you here in the crackle and there is technical side, just send them new headphones. But other than that. We hold up two fingers. It's the pause symbol. It's also telling Aaron, give it two seconds, because we find that two seconds of silence stops that crackle as long as it doesn't come back in too strong. No idea what the real issue is, but we're, uh, we are definitely looking on getting it fixed. So bear with us. I, I think if Aaron comes over here and helps me out with this project he mentioned, there might be a present of a new set of headphones for him. Okay, Aaron, carry on with your concept. Well, we we don't have unflawed characters. You can't have an unflawed character. Um, the be- the best stories are where the villain is a little bit right, um, or the hero is gonna be wrong quite a bit. Where maybe maybe the villain can convince him. Um, it, for those that have watched The Mandalorian, they talk about, hey, the Empire brought good in every measurable and objectable means. It brought good to the people of the galaxy. It doesn't make them any less evil, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but prosperity went up, poverty decreased, food was available. All these things are better now because you've got this heavy-handed law organization if i may yeah something else about a not flawed character they're just boring they're hard to relate to they're hard to understand even if it's just their own concept of their flaws their internal flaws where they mull it over in their head how because we've seen all these perfect people in movies sometimes in real life in books and once you realize they have the same anxieties, fears, and all these things that pretty much everybody else does, now suddenly they're relatable. They're human. And no matter how perfect they look on the outside, they're broken on the inside, just like the rest of us. And as for a villain that a little bit right, I love it when a villain is completely right. From a certain point of view. And this goes back to your comparison of the Empire. The Empire Mm -hmm. is absolutely right. Now we could look at the overlying story that the populace didn't see. Palpatine's greed and anger and destructive nature. And yeah, that's a different side. But the Empire itself, it brought safety to the streets. You could walk down the street and know you're not going to get mugged. And also... They didn't even have a corrupt government. It's not like all these stormtroopers were collecting money for protection. Aaron, you had a thought? No. Yeah. Well, um, going back to that English teacher I had mentioned, she had made a comment about one of our things was, hey, heroes. And she gave us an assignment about hero. One of the readings a couple weeks prior was talking about how heroes uh, are... There are types of what we like. Yeah. Uh, So they are, they don't necessarily have to be unflawed, but they are 
what we seek to attain. Um, James Bond was the prime example they used. Um, James Bond is a drunk and a philanderer. Yeah. He is a horrible, horrible person. And if you look at the movies, he's constantly hitting on Mrs. Moneypenny, his boss's secretary. Um, now, some of that is a product of the times. Um, that make it right now. But um, you go back and watch some of the movies, and they're horribly uncomfortable now. Um, <laughs> they are. It's like, for those who have seen the movie The Graduate, um, it's about a stalker. <laughs> if you watch it now, if you watched it back then, it's like, oh, yeah, a guy's in love, and he goes sees the no, her house and yep. her place of business. Uh, but that's also contrasts. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, I would say so. And I, I liked something that you said earlier. Beyond just hero villain, uh, if you have perhaps an ensemble of characters, you talk about having uh, truly achieving contrast, which is what's in in the title of uh, this episode. When you have, you know, a lot a lot of one thing, or perhaps one, uh, or the environment can do this as well, but. Being, having that fish out of water, having um, a, a, a personality trait that, that comes to the foreground in a certain situation or in a certain group of characters, um, that's, that's, what, that's what contrast achieves. Like in a picture, if you think about a picture, you have, if you have a lot, of, uh, a lot of cool colors and then a hot color in the center, your eyes go to the hot color. And that can be achieved uh, through the personalities of your characters can be achieved through dialogue as well um yeah having your character speak a certain way can achieve that what do you think travis sherlock holmes two very capable characters but mm -hmm. because of the vast differences between them and, and it's funny because <clears throat> there's contrast within the character themselves if you just look at sherlock holmes here's his master of logic and deduction but he's actually very chaotic and very impulsive. Yep. He is... Also high on cocaine. <laughs> as well as other things. Um, but uh, actually, I've read all the originals. It wasn't as bad as like people like to pull out and say it was, but it was there. But then again, that was no different from having a drink during that era. It wasn't, I don't know, the pure form we have now that does what it does. I'm not saying it was good for you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the movies and the discussions tend to ramp things up to make it more drastic than it was in the books. But yeah, the two characters were definitely capable on their own, and when you come together, the contrast between them created this balance. And everybody looks at Sherlock Holmes saying, oh, he's got, he's got it down. He's very logical and he's very precise. But he was actually also very emotional, and, and John Watson was his balance to that that helped him not go too far. Um, give me one second, Aaron. I'll pass it to you. I'm reading, or I'm sorry, I'm watching the Boys TV series now, and I don't know if any of you have ever seen it. Oh, how it. is it? Everyone's trying to get me to watch it. Um, I it's very good. Season one, season two has a very slow open through the first six things perhaps you're doing a slower build so it's a, a bigger payoff i'll tell you because they're releasing one per thing but the two what i would call the two primary characters 
Huey mm-hmm. and Billy Butcher have a similar thing where Huey, who's the greenhorn, the new person on the scene, who doesn't, you know, this is new world for him that he's being introduced to. He's also that restraint. In the show, they call him the canary. They don't call mm. the character the canary. They say he is Billy Butcher's canary. And you've got to keep that canary alive to stay alive. Mm. Because if that canary dies, it means you're about to die. Hmm. Um, okay. And, and I love that comparison because here's this nervous little wreck with this super confident badass. But the badass needs that fragility to hold on to so many things, if not to self-control, then it's humanity itself. Eric? Mm. Uh, going back to your John Watson and your uh, Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. um, John Watson's a chronicler. He's the one telling us the story. He's our narrator, much like uh, Ari was the narrator. Uh, but the cool part about that is he's not 100% reliable. Uh, so it creates some of these contrasts because we don't, going back and reading through some of these things, we're not getting all of the clues, but we're getting enough of them. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting the ones that he thinks are important. But he's also showing Holmes in a specific light, not necessarily a good one or a bad one, depending on the time of things. When Holmes is an insufferable ass, we get that. Mm. Um, when he's going into school mode or school teacher mode, we get that as well. Um, Holmes, or excuse me, uh, Watson. One second. Okay, go. Uh, Watson really doesn't try to describe himself in the books other than kind of as a foil. Um, he makes himself appear dumber than he is. But we tend to forget that he was a medical doctor. Um, so he was, he was smart. And a war hero. Mm. And, absolutely. Um, so he was smart, and he's downplaying his own intelligence to create a bigger depth of contrast when we're dealing with home. Hmm. Which, by the way, I'm going to go look this up real quick. <clears throat> if I'm not mistaken, on audiobook, on Audible, um, not sponsored by them, but we should be soon. Hmm. Um, I believe I picked up the complete Sherlock Holmes collection narrated by Stephen Fry. Oh, ah, I think very cool. I'm going to go check that real quick, make sure I'm not full of hooey there. Okay. By the way, a quick uh, note here, Michael. When we make Aaron pause, try to say something in that pause for two reasons. One, so the audience hears voices, doesn't wonder why Aaron is taking a breath at this moment. Two, I think that might reset his gurgle, but I'm not sure. Okay. All right. Sorry to do that on air for everyone, but working through the tech. No, it's true. It's good to figure out. You said something interesting about – uh, characters having other characters around, uh, like th- as, as a subconscious need, because maybe they represent something they lack, and I think that's really cool. And I'm, I'm thinking about where that might occur in our own books. Well, in I World knew... of the Orb, I'm sorry. Hmm? Go on. Oh, okay. Uh, in in World of the Orb, uh, the villain has this little sort of Igor type character, uh, Gumble. Um, he's this little go- Yeah, he's a, he's a goblin. And he keeps him. He keeps him around um, because, and and I, I remember I had thought about this, like because Shamal is so detached and 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 alone and 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 in his mind, uh, he's a he's a plot. He's kind of a plotting villain, and I believe he keeps Gumble around because he represents the ability to be 
expressive and emotive, which is something that he's lost. He's become a very robotic, um, uh, inhuman character. And so, so he's, so he's keeping Gumble around, uh, because of that expressive ability subconsciously. And in the sequel, there's a couple more characters, um, that represent sort of a, a trinity of things that he's, he's lost when he sort of gave up his humanity. Um, and this holiday season, we all wish for hope and healing. Children and families who spend their holidays at the hospital deserve a reason to believe in first steps, in giggles, high fives, and hugs. For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided world-class care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to help patients and healthcare heroes this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org holiday. That's childrensnational.org holiday. At Capella University, you're in control of your education. With the game-changing FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines and move at your own pace. The faster you move, the more you save. Visit capella.edu to learn more. They'll be introduced in the next book, which will be out in 2022. Um, and I think that's really cool. A, a cool way to dive into a character more deeply is to see who they surround themselves with and 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 think to yourself, why do they have that? Why did they, why did, why did they gravitate toward them subconsciously? Do you guys do that in your books as well? Do you notice that trend? Yeah. Aaron. Uh, something that came immediately to mind was yeah. uh, Pen, uh, Penn and Teller, uh, Penn, the talking one. Uh, oh, yeah. he, he, he mentions yeah, that, true. uh, any skill that both of them have, whoever was better at it, theirs got better while the other one atrophied uh, uh, because he didn't have to use it. Interesting. Um, Right. And it's one of those, um, I've been married for 20 some odd years. There are certain things I just don't do around the house. It's not that I'm not capable of it. It's just my wife's better, more efficient at doing it. Uh, and she can do it in a third of the time that it would take me and vice versa. Hmm. Um, we sway and we contrast and we, we complement each other in that way. But, um, <laughs> and what talked about. I'm not really a magician. Okay. Uh, when you look at it from an outsider looking in, you realize that Teller is the magician and Penn is his beautiful assistant. Oh, uh, okay. But it's a great contrast because um, your eyes are stuck on one while the other one is doing the misdirects. Yeah. Um, a couple of things. Go ahead, Travis. Popping all the way back to where Michael was. Um, a good contrast going back to Avengers the first Avengers movie, Iron Man's contrast was Captain America. The one that said, you yeah. never be the one who throws yourself on a grenade for the other guys, which is something Captain America had done in basic training. But it's not too long after that that Iron Man does that. He does a selfless act in saving yeah. the helicarrier. But in my books, because I love that Michael mentioned, I, I love that Michael is being so proactive and intelligent in like, what about in your books? Because for me, it's natural to look at other people's work, not my own. But in mine, Silver and Smith is built on this contrast. They're both Perfect. capable yeah. people. Um, now, one is younger and more enthusiastic and has that younger type attitude, and the other one has a more reserved, older type attitude. <clears throat> And in Portals, they all three bounce off each other, but they're all three the brand new character until you advance in books 
and you get to the character's second or third book that they've been in this world, and you have a new person in there. But they still contrast from each other, and that allows them to reflect back on their self, where this person has this, why don't I have this? And then my final thought before we move on from this to whatever comes next is uh, keeping what you were around, such as your villain. Yeah. Now, a lot of times when people look at this, oh, hold on, let me raise a glass to Trin, who just came in and subscribed. Thank you very much for that. Thank you, Trin. Appreciate that. Little musical intro for that. Trin underscore music lover has subscribed for five months in a row. Twelve total. So, uh, with somebody keeping somebody else around, it could be A, as a warning of what they were, or B, this is what I once was, and I've lost something, and I'm keeping them so I don't feel broken. Because I'm replacing something that I had in myself, whether it's hope or whether it's innocence, which usually it's those two you want Mm. to be around that again because you remember before you were more bitter more broken and you gave me chills right there i love that you summed that up so well well thank you it's uh i just heard some other noise i'm just checking to make sure i don't okay i'm not sure what it was it's uh aaron (laughs) uh you brought that up because uh in persona non grata go ahead uh, i've got in heart i intentionally made heart our ai more human yeah in a lot of regards um airy he's been through war and back he's the way he perceives the world is i've got this utopian world through a cynic's eyes heart is not a cynic he's always looking at the best in people he's always doing this whereas any airy may shoot first ask question later Heart is reserved and kind and looking for ways to do things that everybody's forgotten that you can do. Um, with the Icarus Black novels... One sec. Go okay. on. Wait. Uh, with the Icarus Black novels, I'm taking Ari's older brother in a different timeline, uh, different time period, Val, um, who is now a teenager AI. So instead of our mature adult one that we got with heart who's still young we've got this one that hasn't reached that stage yet but i've paired him off with a guy named uh, i'm working on the names guy named juan Herm, uh hermes like the scarfs um so john hermes um so he is an older curmudgeon he's older than airy was love a good but we've got this uh, exactly um well he's He's hurt. He's broken. He's uh, he's just old, and that's the problem. And gravity weighs on you after a while. Um, but they are contrasting characters to the titular character Icarus Black. Okay. Uh, to the t- to the titular character Icarus Black, uh, who starts off the story at about twelve to thirteen years old. Um, okay. So we've got somebody that is a potential sibling in many regards, and then somebody who is also a fatherish figure of some regard. And I'm trying to build that dynamic here because uh, relationships are complex things. So the relationship Icarus has with 
John is one. What she has with Val is another. What Val and they have, uh, Val and John have is another. And all three of them combined are different, just like your regular family. Um, Travis, you got a brother. The way you react with your brother to your parents. Well, hold on one second. One... Go on. What about my brother? Yeah, you've got a brother. So the way that you and him together would react with your parents is one way, whereas individually would be a different way. That's very true. Uh, now, if we're done with that, I would love to look more into flipping other things. So we've kind of touched on light versus dark, law versus chaos, and even a little bit dystopian to utopian. Um, though I know Aaron mentioned some points before the show. And by the way, I've seen Michael smile when we interrupt Aaron to say a word or two. It seems to be working, I think. Um, to fix his gurgle. Uh, yeah, it seems like it's working, yeah. So we'll keep doing that. When you see us hold up our fingers, we need to say a couple words. More than two, I've noticed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that seems to reset whatever is creating the issue. I would love to talk about environment itself and how flipping... For example, in Indiana Jones, we constantly see him flip environments, and it changes the tone and the speed and the reaction... Um, we saw this same thing in Pirates of the Caribbean. <coughs> we saw this same thing in a lot of places. And it might be just going from a desert to a city or a city to snow. And yeah. it, it changes everything. And I think we can also wrap this in it. Then I'll pass it to you, Aaron. I'm going to step away to refill my drinks. Um, city versus urban versus rural versus wild. This kind of fits in with that whole theme. When you change the whole environment of nature around them, different aspects yeah. of personality and story come out all together. Aaron, what do you got? Um, let's go back to Star Wars. Star Wars, actually George Lucas in general does this great. Um, in Star Wars, we our opening scene is on a space cruiser, and it's a battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it shifts to... Uh, Tatooine, the desert planet, and you've got this gritty, grimy world where everything else is kind of happening. Um, then we flip back on its end, and we go back to the freaking star, uh, the Death Star. The Death Star is clean. It, we're yeah. not dealing with grungy Luke or anything like that, or our rebels who are just dirty people. Uh, we're yeah. going to start lights. Stormtroopers. We're going second. to go ahead. Uh, we're going from stark white stormtroopers, clean black armor. Everybody yeah. is in kind of this militaristic look, but it's clean. It's nice, but it hits back on that sterile. Yes. And then we flip back again to our rebel base and things like that, where it's chaos. Yeah. Um, and then we're m- merging the two environments back together to create these things. Um, and we see um, the rebel base get more orderly as the uh, the battle progresses, whereas the Death Star gets more chaotic as the battle progresses. Right. So we've seen it contrast back and forth to make sure there's kind of a nice little teeter-totter balance here. Um, yeah. Look, we don't ever see any explosions on uh, Yavin 4. We see them all on the Death Star. Yeah. Yeah, um, you're right. So I'm yeah, curious. it's like one side imprinting on the other, yeah. 
Well, mm-hmm. I'm curious, do you feel that the character is influencing the environment or the environment influencing the characters? I think it's more director's notes to create that emotional feel for us. It, it really is. Because uh, they want to create this world like, oh, this is one world, this is another world, and there, here's where these two worlds overlap. Uh, things that both of you guys do. You've created the portals, you've created a world of your where we're moving aspects of one to the other uh, to create stark contrasts. Well, right. don't you do the yeah. same thing uh, going from different places in your in your book? Oh, abs- uh, absolutely. Um, we, um, I aim from Luna, which is the moon, one type of environment where, and again, it's that utopian feel. And then as we get into the outlying areas, it's more grungy. And it's perfectly contrast back. And then uh, when you're done, part. let's pass it over to Michael. Okay. Then we get back on Earth, uh, and Axion, the actual city of Axion, uh, becomes another stark environment um, where we're moving from different types of emotional field to create all these different contrasts. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think that's very smart. And I think especially in when we have these big genre books uh, and you have these these new environments, I think at, at the very at the very base level, what it creates is just simply a sense of progression um, when we're we're on a journey and we're seeing these things. And, and for your characters, though, it's it's you you've you've conquered one obstacle and and you you start to enter a sense of uh, a, a a place of comfort and then when you enter the new when it's when the new challenge arises and it's personified by a new environment perhaps you roll in you roll into this uh, a brand a brand new area of discomfort uh, as a new challenge arises so as you enter a new area it can be symbolic of a new challenge that's a great point yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. by the way, video game storylines often follow that same thing. When you hit right. that, you've kind of beat the big boss. You're going to the next level, whether it's an MMO or a side scroll or whatever. You get a new physical environment, and that changes it yes. up and says kind of like a huge stamp on it. New challenge. Exactly, exactly. And you have these heroes that are building their skills and. A new, a new challenge, perhaps a harder challenge, personified by a, a new and maybe scarier environment, rises to meet their level. What do you, what do you think, Aaron? Uh, Lord of the Rings uh, yeah. and The Hobbit are great about doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, as we go from environment to environment to environment, we start off in the Shire and make our way all the way to Mordor, um, our volcano pit. They are as far apart from each other as you could possibly be. Yeah. But we see them go from the Shire into just a road where they meet the rig races begin with, and it creates that contrast. Um, and then yes, we start definitely. getting into the mountains, uh, the elves, the political ramifications that we see there. Um, we go back into the all manner of craziness, but every time the environment changes, the type of emotional conflict that exists changes with it. Yeah. And I think... Um... And 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 it and it may we may have those those dips in the uh, in the roller coaster so to speak, when you have uh, like a moment a moment of reflection even, where where character development continues to happen and roll, um, 
uh, even even though even though it's quieter, and uh, they have that t- that period for reflection. Uh, I think that reflective time is where character development naturally happens. You have to stop yeah. the action. You had the catalyst. Now you have time for your characters to reflect on it and how it's changing them, how it's moving them. And, and by the way, I also want to add in right here. I love these conversations because mm-hmm. we review something that I know well, but now I have a new way of looking at it, and I feel like I'm learning something, and I can look back at my oh, own writing and and hone it even more and make it better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh uh, well, it, one of the reasons I like uh, things like um, movies and whatnot is because there's different interpretations. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you read the Harry Potter books, it's reading one interpretation. When you watch, uh, whereas when Hold on, what do you say about Harry Potter? Uh, when you read the books, it's one interpretation. Uh, when you watch the movies, it's a different interpretation. They are both good in their own rights. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you can say, oh, this one's better, this one, whatever. Uh, but they're different interpretations. Uh, whereas if you play the video games, it's a third interpretation of how these things can happen. Um, um one of the big things that you run into with that is like the big franchise movies, you get a different director uh, that comes in with the same writers and things like that. And you get these new ways of th- seeing things. Um, honestly, uh, if you ever go back and watch the old Police Academy movies, it changes. Tones. Uh, you get this slapstick funny thing. It yep. changes what? Uh it changes kind of tones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you get a, the very first one is kind of a raunchy cop flick. And then it goes into more slapstick and then it progresses into there until it's just straight up comedy towards number seven or eight or nine <laughs> at the very end. It, it sounds like this contrast also could, and perhaps a contrast not just in environment or character or thought process, but also contrast in just the story arc. It, it visibly marks the changes between Act 1, 2, and 3 if you're using a three-act thing. And quite often when you do flip that world to go from this is the safe world, this is the Shire, this is the uh, Prancing Pony, into the ring race and beyond and then that final bit of information given at the bit of uh, beginning of act three that changes everything and allows your characters to move forward another environmental change another contrast to what they've gone through before in this case going from the politics in the city and the interaction of the races to just here's a volcano and certain deaths (laughs) you know and not that you have to ramp it up because another like political dramas, that's when you get deepest into the city and deepest into the politics. So, what were you going to say, Aaron? Um, you talked about the uh, going from Act 1 to Act 2 to Act 3. Um, one of the best movies on this one is The Fifth Element. Uh, the movie starts off as a parody of all sci-fi. Uh, yeah. It, you're looking at anything. roll out a scroll. You're looking at what? Yeah. Uh, they literally roll out a, a scroll of all the skills required by Dallas Corbin to accomplish this mission. That's silly. It's just over the top. Um, we meet 
all these characters and you're like, okay, this is, uh, we get the archetypes and we're like, okay, okay, where's this going? And then in act two, everything flips on its head. Uh, instead of this grungy world, we end up with this clean, flossed in paradise. Uh, Ruby Rod, uh, who was super confident at the end of act one, is now this nervous wreck in act two. Corbin actually gets to use his skills. Uh, we see uh, Lilu going nuts, like she's the true action hero. Um, and mm-hmm. everything kind of happening here, and it's it's absolutely great. Uh, and then as you keep going, it flips its way back on its head in Act 3. But one of the really cool things here, when we get into like the villains and the, the heroes here, Corbin Dallas never meets Zerg. Think about that for a second. Our primary antagonist and our primary protagonist never meet. <laughs> um, Wait, Zerg is the big, ugly alien, right? He's the one played by uh, Jeremy Irons, I think it is. So, is that the guy with the there was an opposing... plate on his head? Yep. Don't they talk on the phone at some point? Negative. He gets uh, Corbin gets fired uh, by Zerg's company, but that's about it. <laughs> they pass each other almost in a hall, but they never actually meet. Interesting. Um, during the during scene or during Act Two, uh, Zerg lands on the ship to go get the bo- uh, to get the boxes. Um, and blows up the ship. But that's as close as they come to actually interacting. Hmm. Go ahead, Mike. I, th- I think uh, what this, what this, and this might be a great um, thing to discuss for the second hour, is is it's almost like a contrast of, of its structure. So you, you talk about how it's almost like a parody of, of sci-fi. And, and this can occur in our own books as well, where you have, you may have an inversion take place and, and you, and it, that happens in the setup. So you have, you know, whether it's the environment or the characters uh, within the environment or otherwise, um, you have the setup that, that feel, that feels comfortable. And then the inversion happens. And that's when, uh, your readers and your, along with your characters wake up and realize, Oh, this is something completely different than what I was expecting uh, and exactly. thus rolls the story yeah no i mean uh, when we look at those things and you're like oh here's our setup uh one uh genre that i truly love is the caper or the heist genre uh-huh. um now heists typically have the double cross at the end and all that stuff but the capers where oh we've set up this plan and then the second stage is oh my god the plan's gone off the rails and that alone is a great contrast of, oh, everything looks great here, and we're almost bored, and then everything goes to shit. Pardon my French. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, it's like watching NASCAR. NASCAR freaking is this beautiful orchestra of cars going around a track, but we're kind of waiting for a train wreck. <laughs> What's going to happen? Plot twist. <laughs> I mean, it was expected, but plot twist. Right. When? How? Who? Oh my god. What are your guys' um, favorite inversions in your own works? Mm. I can start with one while you guys are while you guys oh, are yeah, thinking please. about it. 
because I was I, it got me thinking about um, in Winslow Hoffner's Incredible Encounters, uh, our main character is a fisherman, and he starts out when you when you're introduced to him, he has he's, he's very grizzled, he talks in almost pirate talk, and uh, you can tell he's seen a lot of stuff, and so John, the main character, and uh, and the reader too, I think, uh, suspects that. You know, their mind fills in all this, all the spaces of what like a standard, like a salty fisherman might be. Um, but you find, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't drink. He's, he's addicted to root beer. Um, he doesn't smoke. He goes out, he goes outside um, on his balcony, and John assumes he's taking a smoke break, and he blows on a whistle a few times, and then, and then comes back inside. And the reason he does that becomes clear later. And and he never curses. He has all these like funny uh, replacement words for curses. Um, and I think, I think a, a major theme of the book is inversion and, and redirection, which is pointed out specifically by another character who almost embody, embodies redirection herself, Millie Matterhorn in chapter three. She's got this little roadside shack filled with these like Fiji mermaid, mermaid type taxidermied monstrosities. And, um, so you're out, uh, out here, you know, John's looking for a new story for the paper and he comes in and he thinks this is a dead end, but. Then she introduces him to the back room, which contains a few things that are a little bit more authentic. And in the and this is where I really do like to hide some cool uh, symbolism. Um, the 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 street the street names the the place where her shack is located is is on the intersection of Barnum and Shaw, and Barnum of Barnum and ba- of Bailey for like the the Fiji mermaid, and. Um, and then Shaw is the scientist who discovered the platypus, uh, which we have a taxidermy top hat wearing cane twirling octop- uh, uh, platypus uh, gesturing to the back room. Uh, so we have this thing that was fake that everyone thought was real. And then this thing that was real that everyone thought was fake. And at the intersection is where we meet our character, Millie. That's really so, well done, by the way. And I think Aaron's wife would very much appreciate that uh, Easter egg right there. Yeah, it's a fun Easter egg. I love hiding little symbolic names. Um, but yeah, what do you guys think uh, in terms in terms of in terms of setups and 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 redirections, perhaps, or in terms of uh, maybe just symbolism in general in your guys' stuff, or maybe your favorite things and in, in, in stuff that you've encountered. I think I'm going to have to go with somebody else's works because I'm. I'm busy mulling over mine. I don't know if I have... I definitely have... It's probably you know, in there. Huh? It, it's, def- it's definitely in there, but it, it might be hard to, like, yeah, reflect it might not be something I consciously did. I, I know I have, like, branching off, you know, to, uh, taking a right yeah. turn, but a complete flip-flop inversion, I guess maybe in Journal of a Stranger, Volume 2... Mm-hmm. Some of the information coming through towards Act Three. Um, okay. Because yeah, his big flip flop, yeah, even in Act One, he's in his own world, but there's something really weird going on. There's dinosaurs in Oklahoma City, and he's 15 years in the past somehow. And, mm-hmm. and that happens pretty much page two. Um, yeah. So there's not a big buildup. It's just like right into it. And I'm staring up at the books here. 
sometimes with reveals, the information is opposite of what they expected. But yet, without taking a while to mull it over and, and kind of dissect my own work, I'm not seeing anything. What about you, Aaron? Um, I did a... I have some technical writing that was also published and things like that. Say that again? Uh, I have some technical publishing that was uh, out there, uh, specifically in the Army, uh, the Army Journal and the NCO Times. Uh, when I lead into it and uh, the title of it, um, is physical fitness overvalued in the Army? Um, writing partner did this one. The, when you, for the first two paragraphs, it's a lead in and it's almost straight technical writing. Uh, it's, it comes in cr- hard. And then as soon as you get in there, we flip it to an emo, uh, an emotive piece, um, where I use the phrase, uh, we get into the hard numbers at the very beginning. And then I start hitting them with emotional responses, um, where I go, oh, look, we're going to use check the box, look, appearance. Um, but at one point, I actually refer to this physical fitness program that we have as an unregulated uh, breeding experiment, um, which is just designed to cause anger, um, which is not something that you typically do in technical writing. Uh, we got this, oh, here are the facts, here's this, and then start hitting it with, this, 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 and this to make the reader angry at the Sounds system. Sounds like a TED talk. They have similar buildups. Yeah. Go on. Um, so that's kind of, I've done that here, and I've done it uh, with a, another piece regarding sleep uh, being um, undervalued, um, where I talk about sleep is just as dangerous as drinking. Sleep is what? Uh, or lack of uh, lack of sleep is just as dangerous as drinking. Um, but for some reason, we talk about. Uh, for some reason, we see. Oh, I, I go only three hours of sleep as a virtue, uh, whereas uh, you're legally drunk, <laughs> or you may as well be inebriated. Uh, and I hit again that technical, your technical arc, your freaking emotional arc, and then your resolution, which is a combination of the two. Right. I remember I remember an episode of um Mythbusters where where they where they talked about that and they had uh they had this little closed driving track and they tested the effect of sleep deprivation um on them, how many cones they hit and stuff. Something like that. It was it was very it was very interesting. So yeah. That that's a that's a really interesting topic. And if um, I when you're done, pass it on over. Okay. Uh I, I actually had a question uh for you, Travis. Uh, about about harbinger and and, env- and environments and I think uh, I'm, I'm remembering the the talisman uh, the meteor comic right uh, or comet was it, I think it was comet comet and that has a major effect on the environment and um, since we're rolling over into the technical stuff how do you, how do you feel about uh, something like that as, as as like as like a plot device it, I I think it's you know personally I think that's amazing is something to really really grasp something very physical and very and very clear and uh to understand for the reader and oh boy is it scary that was put in there for a few reasons um it's the easiest way to bring people together is give them a common enemy but here's, mm-hmm. and that comet and the effect it's having on the world whether it's superstition or science it's definitely an effect it's having and 
but it's unreachable. It's it's like saying you know the a president or the leader of the CIA or you know the shadow person that nobody knows who it is that runs this. How do you get to them? How do you solve this conflict when you can't even reach it? Um, so that's definitely a driving force through the story. We'll have to see how that turns out because I don't necessarily have the full story plotted out. But my end goal is to have the protagonists somehow remove the threat. For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided exceptional care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to give children and healthcare heroes a reason to believe this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org slash holiday. Tis the season for those irresistible ginger thins, cozy blankets for cuddling by the fire, and making home warm and welcoming. For one-stop holiday shopping, visit your local IKEA or ikea-usa.com/holiday. Of that comet that is creating these effects on the world, at least in theory, wow. if not in actual science. And yeah, we're <laughs> going to shift it over here to our second hour now. So we're going to look at the technical side of contrasting environments, and this is where we're going to lean more into possibly our personal contrasting environments where we talk about our writing process and uh, also probably touch on some of the stuff we already did touch on. I would also like to talk about environment as a character. Now, one thing I can leave this with is people say the Millennium Falcon is a character in the book, but it's also an environment. In American Gods, Neil Gaiman points out North America or the United States in specific is a character in the book. It definitely helps set the tone and the mood and and create part of the story. And it couldn't be the same story anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's totally true. You watch a lot of uh, shows and you read a lot of books where the character, if, if it weren't for the environment that they were in, um, they they might they might they could be they might be a villain if it weren't for like the mean mean environment that they're in you know what i mean it's it's you you see that you see these uh characters interacting in this environment Thank you, Tracy. And, Love your bits. and they're so dark but maybe they're they're just there's just enough light in them to where if the environment is that much darker you think han wow solo. you know it, it's it's incredible yeah han solo or like in, in in your book Harbinger, like that, that's a, that's a very dark and scary world. I mean, especially when the talisman is coming, and there's a lot of characters with great morality and stuff. Um, but uh, I think that's why you know when when I read it, I, I thought Sight was so amazing. Uh, someone someone just so steeped in darkness, but but so so uh, reaching for light, I think is a real quick way to get someone to uh, latch on to them from a, from a technical perspective. That's interesting, because Sight, I saw him as the innocent, the one who's being introduced to this world quite suddenly. And mm-hmm. I saw um, Roger and the Plague, the slave master, as the darker one who's done demon summoning and stuff. Or um, yeah. the pirate captain, Dawn. She uh, yes. has a darker side. Grudo had a darker side where she's from the streets and she's used to working the shady side of things. And even our, yeah. our priest, uh, Cyril, Cyrus, Cyril, 
Um, sorry, there's twins and <laughs> yeah, they are twins. Yeah, on the project. Um, he comes from a background of betrayal and and the church. There's this bastion of hope and and order collapsing by being corrupted from within. So he's got this darker side and a shadowy figure that literally, pun intended, follows him through the whole book and influences the outcome of the whole storyline. And by the mm-hmm. way, that will come back much stronger in in the next book as that shadowy cool. figure takes the foreground instead of the shadows. And then the light yeah. will become the shadow and the shadow will become the light. There's an inversion coming up. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And and everything you just listed is, is a great example of how uh, the environment has has influenced the character and from a technical point of view in and making and the fact that you know that is very important and very strong um as 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 the author of the work that that all these things are filtered through them and their unique personality and then it comes out as what you get on the page so that's that's beautiful i also think it's interesting when you have somebody went up against society and in this particular case in harbinger the the slave master or the Mm -hmm. pirate and they're just fighting against society. They see society as wrong, and they've taken their little niche and made it into something society calls dark or evil or wrong. And because of the skills they've developed from it, they're now fighting for the good of everyone. And they're using these dark tools to to conduct that battle. Um, yeah, I am... I am so torn on when I start to write book two. I'm somewhere between super apprehensive and really excited. Um, well, that's good. That's good. I mean, it'll be interesting. I, I think as soon as you start it, I, all your questions will be answered. You know, you'll 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 feel you'll feel it flow, and see and see where it's taking you. Mm-hmm. Aaron, what were you gonna say? Um, we <laughs> Well, no, no, it's uh, where we got the one guy and he's carved out a niche. Yeah. Uh, uh, and the environment, the ecology, all of this is our antagonist. Mm. Um, going back to our Star Wars reference, we're introduced to Han Solo. He is a scoundrel. He murders somebody within five minutes of us meeting him. Okay? Uh, he shot first. We see it happen on film. <laughs> <laughs> but he kills a dude. Now, he kills a yep. dude who was trying to bring him in because he was a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, as you get into the expanded universe and all this stuff, yeah, it was creative and stuff like this. We find out that, oh, yeah, he got kicked out of the um, the Empire for being uh, because of slavery, because he was against slavery of Wookiees and stuff like that. But Han Solo is not this nice guy. He is this character with great morality. He's a what character with what? He's a character with gray morality um, who has decided that it's him against the the world. And he kind of latches onto our onto Luke, who is still light there. You get that little right. gleaming light of what he could have been. Yeah. Um, because if you look back, you're like, oh, Luke was going to join the friggin' Empire and follow the exact same path Han was. Yeah. Um, and as we start seeing it, he goes, hey, you're not too bad of a pilot yourself. Stay on board with me, kid. You don't have to go with those rebel scum. But that's his yeah. lifeline back into all this. 
I just wish they had translated yeah. that better in the solo movie because he was a perfect little angel in the solo movie and we didn't have that darker part of him. And sure, you insinuate, well, it's a learned thing, but I also, I believe he's also just wired that way a little bit. And that made yeah. him delightful because he is a person fighting his darker side and choosing the light side. Now, maybe in, in the original Star Wars trilogy, he had to have that monetary push or more likely it felt like a monetary excuse because he did leave and he came back without more money being offered because mm. he does have this underlying give a damn yeah <coughs> well i mean we get into kind of that uh the maslow's hierarchy of needs and stuff like that basically for a lot of folks is survival and we ended up into intellectual pursuits right happiness and all that stuff at the very top uh some of our best villains are ones that have transcended the bottom tier and have made it all the way up to the top to where they've forgotten what it's like to be hungry and poor. Uh, you start going, oh, well, I can destroy the world because it's not going to affect me. Right. I'm, I'm pursuing this intellectualism. Mm. Interesting. Um, to talk a little bit about uh, uh, the, envir the environment and the story and uh, making, making that a character itself i think i think a very quick way to do that is uh personification and from a from a technical perspective using maybe verbs that would be like human verbs you know like say the entrance to his forest like scowling or something you know and, and to to create a sense of menace if this is a, supposed to be a menacing place or um i'm okay i'm remembering in, in winslow uh I love when, when people do that by the way Oh yeah, me too. And well, that's the environment. Yeah, yeah, and you do it literally with your with your spaceships because they mm -hmm. are alive, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm remembering in 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 Winslow Hoffner's Incredible Encounters when John and Becky, uh, who are our journalists, walk onto Winslow's boat, the Sienna, for the first time. It's described as creaking curiously at their unfamiliar footsteps. Um, so the boat itself is is. Uh, unsure about how to receive uh these characters on um uh, striding upon it so uh that, that's i think that's a really cool way to 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 help your reader feel connected and 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 um and and just and and feel out and feel out how they're supposed to react to a new environment well it gives uh, an underlying emotional current to the environment itself yeah. so you yeah know if you yeah. like it or fear it or curious or worried or whatever yeah yeah for sure i like that see and yeah. as as we talk about these things i'm going through my head in my current story yeah. going how can i work some of this in yeah mentally flipping pages and yeah going back or going forward in time and that was something i i, I remember uh, just just loving that and it's a very quick way to make an environment or a vehicle like Millennium Falcon or anything, a character, you know, it takes it, it and it transcends it to another level because I mean, we, as people, we, we humanize things all the time. We humanize animals, we humanize where we, uh, places where we live. 
you know, and, wow. and, and yeah. And, and the, it, it's, it's the human energy on, on the things that it's, it's like, it's like imprint. It's like imprinting personality on these places. And, and, and it, to us, they feel so absorbent and, and, and then they put out their own vibe. So yeah. And you feel that through history and you feel that through, um, you know, decoration and, and you can, and you can describe that, uh, I think very quickly by using human verbs, you know, stuff like that. Let me do. Okay, yeah. Aaron. Uh, cause you mentioned the millennium Falcon being alive and things like that. One of the best started the millennium Falcon. Yeah. No, uh, one of the best things about the millennium Falcon kind of being alive was they did it in the expanded universe and freaking Leia makes a comment that Han explains that it takes three droid brains to run the Millennium Falcon. Oh, the systems yeah. are so complex. And she points out that they bicker. These three droids don't get along. And her belief is that they are intentionally sabotaging each other's systems. <laughs> but it creates this, oh. And then you start going back and you're doing rewatching re- 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 stuff. You're like, oh, holy crap. And you've got this. Re- it's not just that the Millennium Falcon's alive. It's also this war zone between these other forces that you can't even see. I like to think of wow. it as passive-aggressive, three old ladies bickering with each other. And oh, that's like exactly how she... Switching the sugar for salt type situation. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a reason he has to constantly bypass things. It's like, oh, that system's no longer under your control until they find it again. And then they're freaking, it's crapping out. But uh, th- uh, the, imagine the Golden Girls... In a passive aggressive house, they were. They it's a, uh, they were, but they're moving. Oh, we've got. We're just going to move uh, all the stuff that Betty White has, and we're just going to put it up to the next shelf so she can't reach it. I think that was an <laughs> that episode. kind of thing. <laughs> um, let me redirect us to our writing process. So hmm. for me, when I write, um, I find writing at a certain time of day is better for me generally later in the day at this point in time seems to be better for me i have a hard time writing earlier in the day um so my environment where i write i do like to be able to look around i like windows near me or interesting things to look at so i have something to do when i break from my writing where i've hit a point now i I will say this not the internet because the internet is just taking you away, uh, taking me away at least. Maybe somebody else can do a little, a little research. I cannot do a little research. It's uh, yeah, it's like a wormhole. That's fair. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and, and I'm also going to open up the the whole concept of multiple topics on my bullet points that I wrote down before the show. So, with real world research, where do we go? to find out things. So besides just Googling mm. something, where do you go? Because you can't Google a mood as well as you can experience it. There are certain things you don't write well till you've had certain events in your life. But even if you had those events, there are places that will help trigger the thought process, the imagination process better than sitting at your desk. Let's talk about mm. that, and let's talk about how you set up your writing environment, your family around you, or your pets, or your, like, I screen my writing, and I have now become very comfortable with that. So what about you guys? First of all, 
What's your writing environment look at look like when you're just writing? Music, what, what are your sounds, smells? Go through your senses, go through your whole environment. Go ahead, Michael. Oh, all right. Um, well, you're looking at my writing environment right now. This is where I spend the most of my most of my time. This is uh, this is my office, and um, my environment is is just very quiet. I, uh, when I'm writing, I like complete silence because it's it's like you know it's it's a deep immersive dive into the mind, and you know I want to I want to hear and see and taste and smell everything, and um, so it, it it is very quiet. Uh, I need, sometimes I need to remember to do things like open a window, <laughs> you know, and, and, and let some, and let some air in. Cause you know, a little, a little bit of outside sound is okay. A little bit of birds chirping and, and a little bit of wind rushing in, especially ionized wind or rain pattering. I love. Yeah. What do you think? What I, do you think, Travis? I will say this about your environment cause I don't want to take you away from what you're saying. But you're also surrounded by creativity and inspiration, looking at all the photos behind you, knowing what they are, even though you can't see them in this screen. I know those are creative sources that you admire and that you appreciate. You can see Guardians of the Galaxy. You can see Ash. You can see um, group photos of different characters. I can't tell what they are. But you've surrounded yourself with creativity, though you're not facing it. It's immediately in your environment. Uh, that, that's, that's really cool. I wasn't even thinking of that. Uh, thank you. Yeah. For our, for our audio only listeners, I, I have a wall of autographs and I was kind of, uh, I was kind of inspired by like, you know, the chicken Roos, which is a restaurant over in, uh, or, or was a restaurant. I don't think it's open anymore, unfortunately. in um, in Maryland, uh, where they have all of these, you know, celebrities who have been in the restaurant and they sign a little photo and they put it on the wall. And this happens a lot in New York and, and places like that. And I just thought that was so cool. And I love, you know, autographs. I love just like seeing people's personality in a stroke of the pen. Um, and yeah, I do like, uh, collaging my wall with, with, uh, with this creative energy and stuff. Uh, one, one cool fact is, I don't know if you can see, there's one rather large black and white folder, mm-hmm. uh, photo rather, um, just next to my Iron Man poster. And that is, uh, my great grandfather. Uh, Lauren Schoonover. And I got that photo from uh, my grandmother's house and she had a bunch of photos that was taken for a magazine because he he was also an author. And so he's my greatest inspiration. I, I dedicated World of the Orb uh, to him. And it's up on the autograph wall because uh, when some of my extended family found out um, I was pursuing writing and stuff, I was I was being sent some copies of his books. And one of the books I opened up at just as I started to, you know, uh, collect and display uh, these, these, these autographs. Um, one of the books I opened up and out from the pages tumbled a, uh, a, a card that said, uh, with compliments from the author, Larry. And it was his, uh, it was his handwriting. And so I have uh, my great grandfather, who I never uh, met. I have his uh, signature up there as well, uh, kind of uh, in the center of this big, of this big collage. So that was a really magical moment. That's very cool. What about you, Aaron? What's yeah. your environment like? Um, I tend, to, I do it act or scene by scene. Mm-hmm. So what uh, I'll do is I'll try to find a movie. Try to find what? 
I'll try to find like a movie or something that's got the right emotional hit yeah. for that for that scene, and I'll watch that. If I'm looking for something heavy comedy or whatnot, do you watch um, it or while or, you're or writing? What? Background noise. Most of the okay. ones I'm very familiar with, so they they turn into background noise, but they put me in that environment, right? That's so that cool. I'm writing there. Uh, if I want a cool sword fight scene, we're watching The Princess Bride. Of course. Which, um, by the way, from professional sword fighters, those are very good scenes. And by the way, if anybody's like, how do you know if it's a good sword fighting scene? Are they swinging over each other's heads or are they actually trying to hit each other? That's mm, how you tell. Nice. And Aaron, I remember, and you mentioned this, I think I, I, for the first time in an after show, we are like really, really recommending it. And so, and because of you, I saw it on TV, and so I recorded it, and my goodness, what a fantastic film that is. I love it. Oh, you got to be like the rest of us and have five different versions on DVD, <laughs> Blu-ray, Expanded. Uh, That's my next one. Oh. By the way, um, a quick shout-out. They have recently, with COVID, done a reading of the book ooh. with the actors. Yes. And by the way, it's not all the same actors acting all together. It's different actors playing different roles and just doing a reading, like a narration, like an audio book together. Hmm. So you'll have two or three of them doing, and I don't know if they do the whole book or just this chapter or just this scene or how it works. I have not heard it yet, but yeah. Well, What done. a creative thing. What a yeah. great way, because they talked about doing a, a remake of it, and I'm like, uh, everybody was like, uh, don't touch, you're good. But this, no, yeah, it's I'm solid. okay with. There are there are only so many parts in this universe. Why ruin one? Why ruin one pair? Yeah. What was that? Uh, from the movie, uh, there's only so many perfect breasts. Oh uh, yeah. Why ruin one pair? <laughs> the same can be said for that movie. It's but, like your crackles are um, censoring you. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So but no, we heard you the same. In my environment, as I said, I have a window here. I have a window here. I yeah. do enjoy the cats so that they get in the way of the keyboard. But just in front of me here, what you guys can't see, whenever mm -hmm. I would go to a sci-fi or literary convention, I would do one of the green screen photos with me in a costume and whoever I hung out with most that weekend. <clears throat> so I have pictures, and, and there's Andrea in most of them. But, yeah, there's just different group shots with with me at that and that's an inspiration then my whole environment here the whole tavern feel to the room itself is set mm -hmm. up for a place where <clears throat> i'm relaxed enough but i do keep my back to it for the most part so i don't get too distracted by it all um, now when streaming right. <clears throat> this has been a mixed bag and it takes some getting used to and there are times where i have to ignore the folks hanging out with me while I get a little writing done. And that's what I call a writing burst. And when I do that, I lower all the chat so I can't see anything. And I write till I hit 500 words, which usually takes me 13 to 18 minutes, 15 minute average for 500 words. And if I figure I could do that twice an hour, that's still hitting my thousand word an hour. Very good. I think what you've achieved, Travis, is a, a fantastic structure um, that begets productivity. And, you know, creating creating those good habits will put your mind 
into that frame that it may and and as as you move toward it as you move toward uh uh beginning your uh your habit or your writing ritual uh i i bet i bet the mind just like starts already working in the background um flexing its its there's, creativity there's been times uh, as i'm chatting you'll hear me trail off and you'll see me like looking towards where my notes mm-hmm. would be if i don't have any and then i'm just like hold on and i'll start typing yeah. because yeah it absolutely yeah. happens now yes. music for me is very helpful complete silence not so much but it's somewhere between the two of you in mm. that i will pick certain music for writing certain things when I write straight up medieval fantasy, when I write uh, Downfall, yes, in that series, I want um, Terminator Two soundtrack, Conan soundtrack. Uh, not so much Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter because they're all very too little, too wispy, not enough punch to them. But when I'm writing Silver and Smith, I could totally put on Marilyn Manson and Metallica. And some other stuff, but usually I don't like words in the music, at least not words I can understand. So, for example, Indian music is fine because I don't speak Hindi. Um, Even salsa music is okay because it's got a good beat. It's got a good punch, but I can't understand what they're saying. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you Um, for for editing. For me, I'll put on music only for editing. I will put on music to illustrate. Um and that can that can it seems like that can be anything mm-hmm. uh sometimes i'll theme it just for fun uh but for but for editing i i, I would do if i do do music then it would be instrumental mm-hmm. stuff so uh for winslow i would find all sorts of like uh sailing uh music like um you know like uh pirates of the caribbean I can or out with uh, i got a lot of shanties Oh, fantastic, man! I love I love a good shanty. I actually, what's 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 fantastic is, um, you know, my 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 dad was in the navy, and he at one point uh, was in Nova Scotia, and he, which is where uh, Winslow Hoffner's Incredible Encounters takes place, and he brought uh, he brought a um, a a CD, which is so nearly impossible to find. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, I have <laughs> I have it. Oh my gosh, Songs of the Wooden Boat. Yeah, this is fantastic. And, um, and he brought it back and I, I copied it a million times. I found like one on Amazon. And so I, I bought that and I think this is it. Um, so this was when I got this in the mail, this was the first time I saw the actual cover art. Cause <laughs> what I ultimately got was just so many, uh, copy parts, but yeah, songs of the wooden boat. And it's a, it's a compilation of, of Nova Scotia sailing songs. Um, and, and boy, does that put you in the mindset at least like, um, uh, listening to that maybe not uh, and it is kind of part of the writing process but not necessarily when you're when your fingers are flying on the keys uh but it's almost like uh you you'll get you'll get the images maybe uh when when you're listening to stuff that that's lyrical and it'll almost play in your head like a trailer for the book i don't know if that happens for, for you me, guys it's much more of setting the mood in the background yeah yeah getting the energy aaron yeah what do you think aaron well so doing these things it's all about our brains can only handle so much bandwidth right we we can only think about so much at a time so when we set these things up whether it's a cd or just setting the environment itself what we're doing is we're saying okay we're going to dedicate this amount of bandwidth over here and our brains are going to naturally try to 
optimize it. Mm. It's going to go, oh, okay, well, I'm thinking about Conan the Barbarian or this kind of world setting, and it's, it's re-pulling some of that space away from the music and fo- focusing it in on there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a mental trick is what it is. Mm. Mm-hmm. So for this last part of the show, I want to talk about where we go for, I guess, inspiration is a word we can use here. When I was younger and all my life, even now, I'm a people watcher. I like to watch people. And there's been many times I've been in a public area. I'll use a mall as an example. And I'll look at somebody and I'll, I'd like to say I guess their story, but the bottom line is I create their story. What went on their day? What are they doing here? What was the past week like that, that brought them to this point? Do they look happy or sad? What's going on with them? And now, as a writer, I now take those experiences and those thoughts where I watched these people and created their stories and superimpose that type of atmosphere or attitude or tone to characters in certain situations so I can make mm. a very relatable scene to what I'm writing because I've experienced these moments through other people by watching them. Yeah. So yeah. have you guys well, ever done something like this where you go out in the real world to help trigger, form, or inspire things? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, we're Frankensteining together a character or something. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, with the Icarus Black Nose, I, the original character concept for my curmudgeon was John Archer, which comes from John Archer Lejeune, mm-hmm. friggin' one of the commandants of the Marine Corps. Well, then I'm like, okay, with Archer, the TV series going on, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have that name. It's like, okay, nope, we're... it. It's yeah. a great name, but it doesn't quite work. Also, um, Star Trek Enterprise with Captain Archer. I never actually saw it, so... There's a reason. Uh, uh, I don't think I had cable at that time. <laughs> it, I never found it to hold me the way some of the other series did. Yeah, yeah. it just... Uh, CBS was one of those things that it wasn't on any of the standard stuff. You had to go actively looking for it. Right. Um so I was like, okay, well, if that name doesn't work, what would? Um, and a couple, three days ago, uh, Hermes or Hermes Paris uh, had a Scrooge McDuck thing, but Hermes is such a great last name. Yeah. Um, especially hmm. when you tie it into the Archer, things like that. Uh, yeah. You can play around with it because uh, I can still make it Archer's call sign, just not the name. Right. Um, so I've built this Frankenstein template that I can apply things to. Uh, and then I start looking for other pieces. Uh, Monica and I were at a uh, Marine Corps uh, celebra- uh, Marine Corps birthday celebration last year. The oldest Marine present. And he had to be 85 or so. Um, and it, he's an old guy. Um, at Capella University, education is as smart as the world around us. With the FlexPath format, you can take classes at your own pace, set your own deadlines, and even leverage your previous experience to move faster. Now that's smart. Learn more at capella.edu. Sling TV, built to save you money and bring you the channels you love, including ESPN, AMC, HGTV, and more. Watch your favorite comedies, dramas, suspense thrillers, news, sports, and more. 
for just $35 a month. And your first month is only 10 bucks. Sign up now and start streaming right away on your TV, phone, and tablet. Take control of your TV solution with Sling. It makes TV flat out better. Go to Sling.com to sign up now and get your first month for just $10. But it's amazing what you watch when uh, the Marines him plays and you've got this old guy lose 40 years instantly. Um, and there's a scene that I'm working on now to where, yeah, the guy hurts, but the ever, I may not be as good as I ever was, but I'm as good once as I ever will be. Kind of as good as, say that um, again. Good as what? Uh, it's a song. I may not be as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever will be. Okay. Or as I ever was. Um, so I've got this scene where he's basically playing the doddering old man in a lot of regards because he looks ancient. Um, so I've created that in there on top of that template, which mm. leads back to the curmudgeon pieces in there. Cause it's like, okay, well, I wanted to contrast with a much younger version, uh, of heart because they're similar things, but I didn't want hearts mature. I wanted my, my other ship Val to be younger, to be impulsive, to be something else. Yeah. Um, I think that that's, that, that's, that's really, I like what you said there about, um, and, and, and you mentioned it at the beginning of the show as well, that, uh, your, your AIs have different levels of maturity. And I think that that makes sense and, and maybe isn't something that, that you would immediately think of. Um, but if it is an artificial intelligence, then they would be learning, you know, and the more they learn, the more mature that would be. And so that's really cool. I, I like I like well, how you're thinking about that. Well, the, the, the more they're exposed to the people around, them, the more that they're bonded. Um, yeah. Not, uh, but spoiler, one of the things that I talk about is John's actually going to get upset when they go, you stole the ship? No, I didn't steal the ship. I kidnapped him. <laughs> that's such a great line. Uh, right. That's perfect. Uh, right. Because he gets, he's, he's like, no, I'm not a freaking thief. <laughs> no, there's a difference here. <laughs> oh, I love that, Aaron. That's great. Um, but I think, uh, uh, th- thinking about, thinking about this, I, it's, I, I, I guess, uh, when I write, I, I do, um, draw inspiration from, from people I know. And, uh, and it's just a matter of, of, like how much of like a people watch watcher are you but like subconsciously even in like interpersonal stuff not necessarily even sitting from afar but like when you observe the way someone talks like their habits and um you know what what makes a person interesting because uh you have you have your archetype or, or like your template as you said aaron but then like what is what is that what is that thing that makes them so unique there was there was a mantra that we kind of had in one of my creative writing classes that the, the more specific the image, the more universal the message. And so, and which itself was kind of an inversion of what uh, maybe a, a new writer might expect or, or maybe just like um, it seems uh, any, any reader might expect. What was that? It seems counterintuitive, but no, I see where it's, you're going with it. Exactly, because you would expect it's like I, I, I would want to make this to ha- I, I would want this to have as broad an appeal as possible so people perhaps and this could be a mistake you, you might make a broad character but really what you want to do is create a very specific character because that that's what reads as real and human and even though someone may not know someone exactly like that they may have some habit that may rhyme with 
uh, something that they know in the real world, you know? I have found <clears throat> pulling from somebody I know, not necessarily the person I live with or somebody close to me, but maybe somebody I work with, and recreating them and doing exactly what you said, refining them down to one or two catchphrases, one or two mm. personality quirks or physical quirks, and that's something else yes. I like to talk about. I love this for a third-tier character because it makes them instantly relatable. If you have somebody yes. that constantly coughs before speaking, just <clears throat> um, uh, or if you have somebody that chews a toothpick or is always fiddling with a coin or that toothpick or somebody who always looks like they're about to pick their nose, but they're just wiping at their lip or something. This yeah. is something that instantly, because we've all seen that person, whether in yep. movies or in real life, we've all encountered that. And it gives your reader an instant connection to that character. So, you know, even if it's something as simple as in in uh, Silver and Smith, I have a third-tier character that he always has an energy drink. And by that way, by the way, that was directly based off John of Conquest Publishing because he quite often has an energy drink. So the, the personality of the character isn't like John, but there's other things that instantly relates to him that a lot of people are going to get or understand. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I have a, I, that instantly reminds me of a, a really funny story. So I have, I have a, I have a good friend of mine who's like, who's kind of into like bodybuilding and stuff. And, um, and, and we were at, we were at a, uh, a restaurant once and he, he ordered muscles and he was like muscles for the muscles. Yeah. You know, and he's, he's super obsessed with protein and, as I was writing a new character that appears in the second uh, Winslow Hoffner book, um, he or he orders clams, and I'm like, this reminds me of my friend so much. And he's and he has a German accent, and he's talking about how a machine this great requires plenty of fuel, comrade. When's that fuel is protein, and he's sucking down these clams. And I I thought that was so funny, and I was I was like, oh, this is definitely my friend. And another character trait of that character is his uh, obsessive. Um, uh, reminding uh, everyone that he he has Viking heritage, that he is Viking blood, and stuff, and and uh, I thought that was really funny. I was like I was like, man, if <laughs> if if my one friend had this ca character trait, that would be just like complete like uh, complete the mold. And then literally after I finished the first draft of Winslow Hoffner two, uh, I go and hang out with my buddies, and and my and my friend is like, hey, guess what? I found out. I'm part Viking, <laughs> and he and he talked about it all night and like joked about naming his first son Ragnar and stuff. And I said, "This is, this is what, what cosmic, <laughs> what cosmic alignment is this?" Total. It candy. really made me laugh. Uh, there was one time I guess I was nineteen, and mm -hmm. I was living in Saint Petersburg, Florida. And I worked on at John's Pass at a little restaurant. So this is kind of total tourist area. Um, and I worked in this little restaurant run by a couple. And I worked with their two kids. And at 4 o'clock, like clockwork in the autumn, you would get a storm that would roll off the Gulf and across Florida. You could practically set your watch by it during that season. And there's one time that storm comes in. It just started. You see it. 
advancing. You see the rain start to hit. And then the bell of the door rings, and here comes this big guy, and he's in a tank top that's kind of wet, not totally soaked, but huge, muscly guy yeah. in his shorts and his tank top. And he looks around, and he kind of shakes off a little bit, and he kind of looks at the menu. And he's like, in a British accent and a super high-pitched voice, this muscle-bound guy says, Thunder boomies. <laughs> he just, like, points it. Thunder boobies. So you got this big oh my muscle gosh. guy and then a high-pitched British voice. Thunder that's boobies. That's great. <laughs> and, uh, uh, that's great. What a great specific character, yeah, you know? Yeah, that is a great, almost a fourth-tier character. Somebody you see in one scene in one book. But it's such a – because visually, we've all seen that guy at some point. But instead of being, hey, I'm big and bad, he's just thunder boobies. <laughs> That's so funny. What a funny thing to say, too. I'm Do you sure remember the third words. Pirates of the Caribbean movie? Yeah, there's more words on either side of that, but I can't remember any of them. I just remember Thunder movies. <laughs> That's quotable for sure. That, that, that needs to go on a T-shirt or something. <laughs> it reminds me of in the third Pirates of the Caribbean book, there is, uh, there is that one uh, stoic uh, sort of like barrel-chested character with the huge beard who, who, was, who was sitting there quietly like during the whole like roundtable meeting of all the pirates. And then at the end, he stands up. He says, so we will go to war. <laughs> yeah, he's like the, the Indian fellow with the big beard and the big mustache and the turban. And- it was something like that. Yeah. I, 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 and and then and then there, I think I, I seem to remember there was just one pause where one of the main characters just stare, stared for a second. Like, <laughs> and sometimes the pause after is funnier than even the line. Right. Well, it gives you a moment to realize how funny the line was. It's like, hold on. Yeah. And take a second to appreciate what just happened. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, what do you think, his Aaron? assistant talking the whole time, and his assistant had this authoritative, oh, yeah, I'm angry voice, and then he, he's so we will go to war. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that line, man. <gasps> what? Yeah. So, freaking, this was probably five, six years ago. I was down yeah. in Disney. Freaking, we're on one of the, uh, the water raft rides going down. Yeah. It's me, the wife, Drake. Um, and another couple and one guy who looks like the epitome of, oh, wow, this is a gym rat of some type. Um, but we hit this one spot and the wa- that ice cold water hit his back and a shrill girl scream <laughs> comes yeah. out. Uh, right. And it's like, oh, OK, <laughs> we can do that. And it's just one of those it's because people aren't just one thing. We're nine thousand different things in that one thing. And one thing pops out. Right. It just happens to be what we're seeing at that moment. That That's the contrast. Me, the character yeah. of Gus in the television show Psych. He mm-hmm. yes. is a very oh, yeah. well-dressed, well-presented young black man, young being, you know, late 20s, early 30s. Um, and anytime he sees something that scares him, he has that shrill little girl scream. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, and of course you know once he's done running away, he's got that back like, yeah, um, yeah, it wasn't wor- no, it wasn't fronting a little bit. Um, I appreciate any show or book where uh, that something like that is introduced, and then many seasons down the line, it shows up again either as in the background or just it, the the fact that it's kept and remembered and utilized as a recurring character trait is so important 
in what in whatever you're writing. That is something I really oh, enjoyed about um, Aaron. Help me out, the uh, uh, Seth MacFarlane or Orville. Yes. Now it's only two seasons at this point, but I very much appreciated when they would give you a callback to a previous episode, like a good comedian does. You know, remember that time that yeah. uh, what's his name cut off your arm? Hmm. Which uh, yeah, yeah, Isaac. Isaac actually, as a practical joke, surgically removed somebody's arm while they were sleeping. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, no, freaking. Uh, what was it? Modern Family does a great bit with this with uh, Ty Burrell. His character uh, is infatuated with strong black women. Michelle, Michelle Obama, uh, Venus, uh, um, and Serena. Serena, Venus and Serena, but you'll see it happen about once a season or so, and he just gets giddy and excited, and he's like, <laughs> but it's a callback to previous things, and it's one trait that he just happens to have. Mm-hmm. I um, think that's great to work into any character, you know, even one of your primary characters, to have the, you know, whether it's a, I'm afraid of spiders, or whether mm-hmm. it's a ice cream like a little girl when surprised or soaked with cold water or whatever, to bring that back on occasion. It, it's such a pulls you out of the story without breaking the story. And and I think that's I think that's a great thing. So yeah. what else well, do we have? I about- do that good. Uh, I do that with Ari. Ari is scared to death of water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um he spent all his time on in space. There's no friggin' there's no big body bodies of water in space. Yeah. Um, but he's scared of water. He's scared of being submerged and on a product. And they uh, do something similar with Afraid of Open Skies in uh the expanse in the books oh. and in the series, but it's done better in the books. And that is the people mm-hmm. raised, born and raised on Mars in these domes, in these half globes. When they go to Earth, there's such a sense of agoraphobia and, and, and damn it, vertigo when they step no. out under this endless open sky. Because we've all sat there and looked up and felt like you're suddenly falling up. <laughs> you know, like you might suddenly fall yeah. off the ground and fly into the sky. Aaron, have you never had no. this? No, and you should go. You should see a psychiatrist about this. No, service. no, it's, I have to trigger. I have to specifically make myself do it. But you get this. It's almost like going down that dip in a roller coaster if you're looking up. But I can trigger it in myself, and it always makes me giggle because I know it's strictly psychological. Um, wow, but uh, that's cool. I've never heard of that before. It's one of my things. As a writer, I pride myself on my empathy and being able to see things from other people's points of view. If I if I dig deep enough without losing myself at the same time, how to suddenly flip into a rage from like zero to 60 in three seconds. I've had friends who do this. Like seriously, go from laughing and smiling and moments later, they are throwing things across the room and breaking things. And I'm like, how do you do that? What is the psychology behind that? The same thing with a freak out panic. There is a path your mind goes down, but the more you let your mind hit that path and the more experience you have on the quicker you can get through it, where now you're only seeing the 
the cliff notes and then you're only seeing the highlights and then you're only seeing the bullet points. So now it's three seconds instead of three minutes or 30 minutes to work to that point. Mm. Mm -hmm. So any other thoughts as we hit our last few minutes here and before we go into our closing song and dance about contrasting Um, environments? uh, One of the things that uh, as we were kind of introducing characters start that again. One of the things what? Oh, sorry. What, what, as we were talking about characters and introductions and things like that, uh, in the Dark Sword uh, series, um, they introduce Simkin, but every time he comes into the scene, they do a full description of him. They describe him to set the tone. Huh. Um, and it's a technical piece. But, oh, this character has walked in, and then they describe him again. Um, but they, it's very intentional, very silly, but for that novel series, and it's very much 70s, 80s um, That's fantasy novels, I believe so. The ones who wrote Dragonlance, for anybody who wants the bigger title. And Michael, well worth a read, the Dragonlance novels. Just the first okay. trilogy, and then the trilogy of the twins. Everything else, Dragonlance, right. is very, very optional. Gotcha. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's a... It's a great little artistic point uh, mm. from a technical standpoint of, oh, um, like we talk about when the guy coughs before he speaks, the ahem, ahem. Um, they, Stephen King does that when, in one of the Dark Tower novels, I think Wizard in Glass, where a background character uh, kind of wipes away at his eyes because they're looking at his wasteland. Um, but the guy is basically described. Uh-huh, basically described. Uh, as stupid uh, when you're looking at him and then when that when our focal character steps out of the scene we find out the guy's not mm-hmm. uh, but it's the you can't judge a book by its cover kind of setup yeah uh, but he's constantly wiping away at this eye and it gives the impression of a nervous tick um, which adds to the flavor that he's not too bright. King is the master of giving you a three-page character, creating a bond between you and that character, and then removing that character, usually via death. But uh, Mm. it's something I very much appreciate about his skill set, is he can bring somebody in, give you a couple pages of quirks, maybe a little history, and then you care for him just in time to watch him die. Um, Right. Which, by the way, I want to jump... To another tangent real quick, I have recently, one of the forefathers, possibly the father, of Swords and Sorcery is Fritz Lieber. He wrote the Fafford and Grey Mouser books, Lankamar. And I have one paperback, it's only this thick. Enjoyed the hell out of it years ago. Still own it. It's like a broken down, shredded copy that I have. I picked up the audio and listened to that recently because when I was younger, these books always made me want to play Dungeons and Dragons. They just had that feel of an adventure in a city and the trouble you can get into with one simple thing. And mm. by the way, Michael Sullivan is another writer with the Raira Chronicles and other books. He has two characters, Royce and Hadrian, that got their own series as an afterthought 
And it's that great Holmes and Watson, Han Solo and Chewbacca. It's that relationship, Silver and Smith, I would hope, um, of your duo who has these contrasts. But in this case, the classic trope, the stereotype is probably a better word, of your little sneaky Weasley thief and your big buff barbarian. But in this case, his barbarian is in his snow tribe in the far north, classically trained to sing high tenor. So he's got this Mm -hmm. high-pitched voice. Real quick, I want to throw a quick uh, shout-out to Evan Blade of Revan. Thank you for that host. I appreciate that. Good to see you, man. uh... But, uh, yeah, just a quick... A little bit of love going out to uh, Michael J. Sullivan and Fritz Lieber, two of the writers. One who is, well, dead. Uh, The other one who is still producing. And actually just responded to an email from me that I sent to him. Um, It was the living one that did that, just to be clear. So, any closing thoughts before I get into our wrap-up, gentlemen? Yeah, I think what was really cool uh, talking about you know, changing the environment up as you're writing and bringing the creative process with you as you go out and uh, encounter people or just, um, you know, take a stroll through your memories and uh, remember what makes uh, uh, people you know pop out and and those specific habits. And that's sort of the creative fuel to the fire where uh, when you get into the creative side of things and uh, you start getting to know your characters as real people and your environments as, as real places. Um, and what makes them, what makes them so specific is a really interesting thing. So in the creative part, you're kind of, you're kind of, you're kind of exploring through it. And if, and it's like, yeah, this feels right. Or no, this doesn't feel right. But then the technical to raise a glass. Mm -hmm. Evan, thank you so much for that subscription. I appreciate it. It's good to see you here. And don't forget to join us tomorrow night for the, uh, Star Wars game Aaron will be running before we get back into the D&D. Michael, please carry on. Awesome. Um, and and then as, as that flows into the technical, what you go from uh, you go you go from feeling it out to uh, what you may end up creating is kind of a style guide, whether that be for the uh, the dialogue of a character or like the types of words that you will use to create that feeling that you want uh, for that place. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of a journalistic term, but it, but it it works in the um, in uh, in in novel writing as well. Is uh, is those style guides? So like for for my my character Winslow Hoffner, I know he doesn't curse, so I know his his go to like curse replacements, like Flippin' or Dagnab or Consarn mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And and so I'll have those, if not you know in a in a mental uh, guide. Um, you know, it may it may help if you if you're a writer uh, listening to this and and to to write it down as you get to know. But you'll start with the creative side first and and, and get to know those characters and then find out what is what are their habits and that's when things become real to you. You know, Aaron, any closing thoughts for you? Uh, like to freaking dovetail into that freaking style guide. Um, Ari, uh, when he swears, he says Einstein's ghost. Yeah, um, that's hey, a just good. Get- uh, he does that. Uh, when I did uh, Heart, I had to make sure the beta readers, hey, look for any contractions and things like this. Heart right. never uses a contraction. Yeah. Um, um, in Downfall, Harbinger, um, 
what's his name, the uh, Rajan the Plague, the Rokaran slave master, mm-hmm. no contractions. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But it, it, it sets a tempo for the voice, and it creates a very unique voice, uh, especially compared to Aerie. Um One of the stylistic things that are in there was Aerie doesn't quote Stylistic the things again? Uh, Aerie does not quote the novel. There's no direct quotes from him. Right. He's relaying a story, so what he remembers of himself isn't there. It's mm. like, oh, I said something about it was similar to this. Um, but I had to make sure that everything that uh, Hart responded to had a, a the correct cue on the opposite end. Right. So that, um, so that you didn't get the impression that Hart was reading his mind. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, another thing I did, I recently have been reading via audiobook Richard Matheson. He wrote a few things that everybody tends to know. Uh, what Dreams May Come. I don't know if Michael... Uh, generational thing. I remember the movie. Uh, well, the movie is very good. The book is very good, but very different. It's almost an exploration. In the author's foreword, he basically says, everything in this book is true except for the characters' relationships. That's the only fiction in this. The rest is gained through research of different religions. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, he also wrote Stir of Echoes, which was a movie in the 90s with Kevin Bacon. He also wrote probably his most famous piece, oddly enough. There is a certain episode of Twilight Zone with William Shatner where he sees something on the wing of the plane called Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. That uh-huh. was Richard And Matheson. then, uh, he cool. also wrote, Which has been redone three different times. Right. right he right. also wrote I Am Legend, which mm-hmm. is a post-apocalyptic world taken over by vampires. So anyhow, I've enjoyed yes. his writing. Here's why I brought him up. Almost all of it is first person. Mm-hmm. And that was written in the yep. 70s. Um, now beyond that, let's head for our outro here. I want to hit the mailbag real quick, see if we've had any emails, which I don't think we have. I'm double-checking that now. It doesn't look like anything. But guys, do keep in mind that you can email us if you're listening to this on the podcast and you have some thoughts or input, feel free to email us. We do check these things, and if they're relevant, read them out on screen. And that's rightnightshow at gmail. That's right, W-R-I-T-E, night, N-I-G-H-T, show at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, I also want to let you know we have a couple birthdays this week. I don't know if you guys have heard of these folks. Thank you, Aaron, for posting that. Um but uh, October 4th, Anne Rice had a birthday. That's tomorrow. She has her birthday, October 5th. Author and scientist and personality, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who I I really like the guy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Eben, I'm not sure, but I know a lot of his characters. By the way, Eben uh, Blade of Revan asked, didn't What Dreams May Come come about because Matheson had a near-death experience. He does not mention that in the author's foreword, um, but I do know he has named multiple characters in different books after his wife and children. I researched that when I saw the same name appear across multiple books. Um, and October 8th, one of uh, Michael's favorites, R.L. Stein. Yeah. Richard Lawrence, I believe it was. There he is back there. You can't see it. There's a glare on him. He has a birthday. And Frank Herbert of Dune fame, one of Aaron's 
fallbacks there. Has a birthday on October 8th also. So happy birthday to everybody this week. Happy birthday. um, I also want to remind you guys, tomorrow night we have Stealing for Survival, which is normally Dungeons & Dragons, played in the world that I've created and that I write in. But tomorrow will be an interlude done on Star Wars, run by Aaron. Uh, It's very fun, very comedic, very light. Uh, Bogan, oh God, what did the cat lean on? Everything. Something. Um, they're leaning on the keyboard, terrifying me. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> but purring while they do it. So uh, we are Stealing for Survival on Sunday, which is a podcast of its own that can be found on all the same places of iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Stitcher, Podchaser, and more, as well as Monday Night Talk of the Tavern, where we're going to have Ed, Aaron, and myself talking about different topics. I want to give a quick thank you to everybody who helped support this stream today. The bits from Spacey Tracy. Appreciate that. The subs from Trin Music Lover, The Witch's Door, Potomos, and Evan Blade of Revan. Thank you guys for supporting the stream in these ways. To our moderators that wrangled chat while we're doing this, as well as to uh, my Patreon supporters, Triple U and Ethan Strauss. Do appreciate that. Next week's topic. The three of us are going to come together and talk about Hero Complex. That is somewhere between your protagonist's drive as well as just creating a layered and good protagonist. And for the technical hour, social media scales. That would be sitting to the tune of social media as well as balancing real life and your work life creating with doing that social media thing that's so necessary if you don't have a billion dollar company doing all your publicity. Right. So you guys have a great week. We're going to do some outro music. Everybody say good night. Wave at the camera. Here we go. Good night, everyone. Night. Thanks for coming. Thank you for joining author Travis I. Sivar and me other writers, content creators, and all around amazing people for our discussion here on Writing. Join us again soon, and until you do, make sure you create with passion, enjoy the journey, and remember, every night can be right. Good night, everybody. Thanks for all the subscribers that showed up for the subscriber-only stream. With MailChimp, you get a whole lot more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. That means you can connect your data to make more informed, smarter decisions. And you get powerful automation tools like our customer journey builder to ensure you never miss an opportunity to turn shoppers into loyal customers. So if you're ready to integrate your marketing and boost sales, get started today at MailChimp.com smartmarketing MailChimp, built for growing businesses. Tis the season for those irresistible ginger thins, cozy blankets for cuddling by the fire, and making home warm and welcoming. For one-stop holiday shopping, visit your local IKEA or ikea-usa.com slash holiday. For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided exceptional care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to give children and healthcare heroes a reason to believe this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org slash holiday.